You're listening to the Minnesota Vikings podcast. I'm Dalvin Cook. Let's go. It's game time. Second and goal. Cousins leaps into the end zone. Touchdown, Vikings. If we could get him, you know, to show his personality, you know, to get to get going in the end zone and do some dance, man. We love that, man. That, that, that good is hype right there, man. To get Kirk going in the end zone. And it was actually a funny dance because he wanted to do it bad because he, he had everybody coming with him. But it was, it was fun, man. Welcome to the Minnesota Vikings podcast with your hosts, Mike Wabshaw and Chris Corso. Hey everyone, welcome in. It's episode 8 of the Minnesota Vikings podcast coming to you from TCO Performance Center in Egan. I am Wabi and I'm in a good mood because the Vikings are 1-0 after beating the Atlanta Falcons 28-12 at U.S. Bank Stadium last season. In today's episode, we got a lot of stuff to get to. Uh, remember, we're coming at you once a week here on the Minnesota Vikings podcast. This is episode eight. So if you've just joined us at the start of the season or if this is your first one, welcome aboard. And we hope you keep listening every single week. You can subscribe and get our podcast wherever you get all your other podcasts, Apple, Google, Vikings.com, Vikings app, and many other places. Today on the show, we're going to go over the Vikings win over the Falcons. We're going to preview the Green Bay Packers. Part of our preview of the Packers will be a discussion with Packers.com guy, Wes Hodkowitz. He has the 411 on the Green Bay Packers. We get down to business with him later on in the podcast. We also are going to speak with ESPN's Kevin Seifert, uh, a friend of the program, someone who covered the Vikings for uh, the Star Tribune, but now is with ESPN, and he's got lots of good stories about the Green Bay Packers. And you're also going to hear from Mosh. Who's Mosh? You might not know who he is right now, but you've seen his work and you probably like his work because he is one who designs uh, things for pro athletes, including cleats for NFL players. So you've seen some of his artwork on Vikings players. And it was Chris Corso who had the discussion with Mosh, and I welcome Chrissy in right now. What's up, man? We are 1-0, and and all things are good. Going into Lambeau Field yeah. for first place because the Packers are 1-0 and as well. I mean, what more could you be excited about than to go to Green Bay on a warm Sunday before it gets cold over yeah, there? Yeah, man. Mosh. What was up with Mosh? What did you think of him? Mosh was really cool. He okay. came to actually drop off cleats for the week one game for Stefan Diggs. All the designs on the cleats. I think Diggs had him do his cleats every single game last year. Um, this is the first time he dropped off the cleats in person, so you'll, you'll hear cool. more about that later. He also works with NBA players like LeBron James and Dwayne Wade, if you ever heard of him, Wabi. Cool. Uh, yeah, I've heard of those guys. <laughs> uh, Mosh is his name. If you want to check out his work while you're listening to the podcast, on Instagram is where uh, you should find him. M-A-C-H-E-275. That's his handle. 564,000 followers on Instagram. Go check out his work. Also uh, coming up on the Minnesota Vikings podcast today, we'll give you another top five list. We'll check in with the voicemail box, and we got much more to get to. But first, let's kick it off with some news and notes, Chris, and we're going to hear from Vikings running back Dalvin Cook, who had two touchdowns himself against the Atlanta Falcons, but he's talking about someone else on the Vikings offense. I'm trying to figure out what Kirk Cousins' touchdown dance was. What, what did you think of Kirk Cousins' touchdown dance? I was right there with him. <laughs> is there anything to that one? Nah, we just kind of do our thing. You know, Kurt is kind of you know, the football dad. So. Like. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, if we could get him, you know, to, to show his personality and, you know, to get to get going in the end zone and do some dance, man. We love that, man. That, that, that good is hype right there, man. To get Kurt going in the end zone. 
and it was actually a funny dance because he wanted to do it bad because he, he had everybody coming with him, but it was, it was fun, man. I mean, Delvin is like football dad. Yeah, Delvin is super cool. He's got swag. I mean, he's he's awesome. It's about but as cool as it gets. Yeah, he is. <laughs> he is. But he's like when Kirk does that, like that that gives the offense confidence and gets the offense going. So pretty cool to listen to. Also cool to listen to. I know Vikings fans they love it when we get national love, and Vikings fans hate it when we get hated on, but they hate it even more when we get ignored. Vikings fans don't like that. Well, Peter Schrager, he's giving you what you like, Vikings fans. Listen to him. From week one, I'm going to go to that team, the Minnesota Vikings. I thought they were fantastic last night, and they made a statement. They only threw the ball ten times, and they ran the ball down the Falcons' throats. They're the sleeping giants of the NFC. We talked all offseason about the Packers and Bears. We talked all offseason about the Rams, the Giants, the Cowboys, the Eagles. Vikings were dominant last night. You know what? They were dominant two years ago, and I think Kirk Cousins is a significant upgrade from Case Keenum. I think Dalvin Cook, if healthy, could be one of the best running backs in football. They are the team that nobody was talking about before week one, and we have to be concerned about the Vikings. (laughs) Watch out, Rams. Watch out, Seahawks. Watch out everyone else we did all the talk about. Vikings are your sleeping giants of the conference. Now, this is what Zim warned the team about in uh, uh, the post-game speech. He literally told the team, this is blow-up Monday where everyone says all the positive things about your team, and he doesn't like that. Zim doesn't like to be mm-hmm. talked about. He mm-hmm. likes being the sleeping giant, mm-hmm. so he wants his players to continue to think that way. Right, but you're not the sleeping giant if someone's calling you the sleeping giant. It, once you're That's talked about, you're... They're, right, yeah, he, right. That's the problem. Let's keep it hush-hush. Right, so <laughs> what what led to the Vikings becoming Peter Schrager's sleeping giant in the NFL was a dominant win over the Atlanta Falcons, a team that came in with an offense that everyone respects because they've got an MVP caliber quarterback. Matt Ryan has been an MVP in this league, and he's taken the Falcons to the Super Bowl. They have uh, Devon Monte Freeman, who's a really good running back, missed a bunch of games last year, so you might be sleeping on him, but he's really good. And then, of course, they have those three really good receivers. But they come into U.S. Bank Stadium, where really good passing attack- attacks come to die, and it died. It yeah. died against Mike Zimmer. And I think I said this in the Vikings postgame report that we do after the games out on the field. Um, tune into that if you haven't already. I said, we made a team that's really good mm-hmm. look really not so good. Yeah. And- which, like... You don't, you don't see that too often right. in the NFL. So I think the big takeaway from that game is the defensive performance by the Vikings, which we're not going to get into right now because our top five list for the week is the top five best defensive performances in the NFL in week one. The Vikings, fast. The Vikings are going to be on that list. So we'll table the defensive discussion for later. Let's talk about the other two phases very quickly before we get to Kevin Seifert, who's going to join us here on the Minnesota Vikings podcast to talk Vikings and Packers. Um, special teams was really good and was a big reason why we started fast. A block punt by Eric Wilson, recovered by the Vikings, short field for the offense, two plays later, Thielen touchdown. We're up 7-0. You get up 7-0 early at home with our defense, you're not going to lose very many games. So that happened. And then special teams was solid throughout uh, we made all of our kicks. Dan Bailey was 4-for-4 four four on PATs, and Britton Colquitt was solid as a punter and holder. 
Yeah, it was pretty good to see the offense convert on just about every single turnover that the defense had. So they scored 28 points after the turnovers, which is just unbelievable. Taking advantage of the short field, taking advantage of the turnovers that the defense provided, as well as special teams. So while Kirk Cousins only threw the ball 10 times, he made every single right decision that he needed to make. He was 8 for 10 in the game. He had a beautiful touchdown pass. Um, to Adam Thielen there for the first touchdown, which he actually describes on his podcast as a play that the coaches implemented just that week um, in in the meeting rooms, knowing that it would work out against this Atlanta Falcons defense, and guess what? It did. Yeah, so. and uh, Chris mentions Kirk Cousins' podcast that's under center with Kirk Cousins Tuesday nights on KFAN from 6 to 7 p.m., and of course on Vikings.com, the Vikings app, and and YouTube for a video edit of the show. We got um, a pretty good guest this week. Oh, you do? Can we, you tell us? Yeah, I think we're going to drop it on the on the MVP right here. We got Anthony Harris to okay. join the show. That was All pretty right. cool. That's good. Yeah, uh, I'd say he had a pretty good game. Yeah, just a couple turnovers, three of them. Yeah. Uh, last thing I want to say uh, as we uh, recap the, the win over Atlanta is one thing I really like about it, it obviously was the running. Um, 38 runs for whatever. Dalvin had 111 yards and two touchdowns on 21 carries. We had 38 runs for the game and only 10 passes. And so now Green Bay, you know, one of the one of the challenges for Green Bay is going to be they only had 10 passes. So they didn't see if we had any new wrinkles in our passing attack. I mean, the, the Green Bay is familiar with us. Let's let's not act like you know we're going to hit them with a bunch of surprises. I mean, they they know what's coming. They play us twice a year every year, but every off season. Offensive coordinators, they draw up new plays on napkins and they install them. And and no one, we didn't put that on tape this week against Atlanta because we only had 10 passes. Also, um, what you don't show when you only have 10 passes is how you protect certain pressures and blitzes and stunts and games. So the Packers D line coach and linebackers coach, uh, they like to study protections and how the Vikings. We got nothing. They, we got nothing. They're for gonna you have to a hard see. time with that. Yeah. So um, that that's sort of a little hidden benefit of only having ten passes. So I like that. Yeah, I think Adam Thielen's gonna do another Lambo leap. Sounds good to me. I think that's gonna happen. I remember him doing that a few times in the recent past, and I see Adam Thielen number nineteen having a pretty big game out there in Lambo. Love it. Uh, more on the Vikings and Packers matchup uh, coming up later in the show when we have Wes Hodkowitz as a guest from Packers.com. For now, though, uh, we're gonna go to someone who can talk a lot about the Vikings, not just how they looked against Atlanta or how they're going to look against Green Bay, but uh, some historical stuff as well, because Kevin Seifert has been around and covering the Vikings for a long time, and he joins us now on the podcast. Hey, Kevin, welcome to the Minnesota Vikings podcast. Always fun to talk to you. We're glad you're joining us today. How are things? Very good. How are you, sir? We're good. Um, you know, we're in a good mood. We're 1-0, and and I was, I was telling someone... The other day, I'm like, in the middle of the season, let's say you're three and three, and you win or lose a game to go to four and three or three and four, like that. You know, there's a difference between three and four and four and three, but it's a marginal difference compared to the difference between being zero and one or one and zero. For some reason, you know what I mean? Totally, totally get it. You've been uh, looking at this game for uh, what four months and. Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, focused on it, and finally you get to find out how it went. Yeah. So for the Vikings, it went pretty well. Now, um, they get to open up at home at U.S. Bank Stadium, but they opened up against a tough team, um, a team with a healthy defense finally, which they weren't healthy last year, the Atlanta Falcons, and then a a really good offense with um, good skill position players. 
So when you look back at that performance by the Vikings, what what are maybe a couple of things you come away thinking about the Vikings now that you've seen them in action against a good team? Well, it was almost funny. The, the biggest thing to me is we all wanted to see exactly what Mike Zimmer meant by, you know, the, all the offseason talk about running the ball and, and not and not and having a more balanced offense. And the way the, the game started and the circumstances, I don't think we found out. You know, I know that a lot of people made the, made the a big deal about the ten passes and about how great Dalvin Cook played, and that's all true. But they, the Vikings, jumped to that early lead so fast that we never really. I don't. I think they they adjusted probably what their game plan was before they even got into it, because once they had the the big lead, it makes sense to run and and to and to start. Um, you know, basically forcing the Falcons to try to. Um, you know, to play catch up uh, with a with a running clock, and and not to say that happened in the first quarter, but I, if you look, if you microanalyze it and look what they did in those first two drives, they they passed I think on four of their first six plays, not counting the penalty plays. So that that was interesting to me. But overall, if you took a, a big look at at the game and you said, wow, they don't, Mike Zimmer really is serious about about being a run first team. They only threw ten passes, but I think that was obviously skewed by the way it started, and we. And I don't know that we have a great sense for what he would want ideally in a game that's competitive, at least in the first half. What did you see from the Vikings' offensive line? Obviously, they did a pretty good job in the run game um, with the with the stats that come out at the end of the game. But sure. um, what did you see from a guy like Garrett Bradbury in the middle there? Maybe in the during those ten passes. Um, you know, I thought that. There was different people on Grady Jarrett, uh, who is one of the best defensive tackles in the entire NFL in terms of creating havoc in the backfield and just got a big new contract. Um, uh, I think they probably struggled with him a little bit, uh, and that's and there's going to be a lot of teams that that struggle with him. Um, that was noteworthy. I think there was a play where Kirk Cousins uh, had the ball knocked out of his hand, um, and he got hit on a couple others. But you know when you look at it at the, in the big picture and you say you look at how well they ran and how they sort of imposed their will um, you know some of that's obviously Dalvin Cook's individual ability but you obviously have to have some really good work up front for that to happen as well mm-hmm. yeah you know and and there's there's a saying you get good at what you practice you know and Zim has put a lot of emphasis on the running game and the Vikings have worked on it a lot so I'm sure it was encouraging for those guys to see that production um, you know, in the running game, an area that they've worked on. Absolutely. I mean, if you, if you, you know, you, you always, there's, there's plenty of times where things don't go the way you had planned it for four months in week one and you turn it around or you, you, you top off, um, the, uh, the preparation and, and, and over the course of the season, it works out just fine. But certainly to be able to basically do in an extreme sense what they had been talking about for so long I'm sure uh, will give will not only give them some confidence but also give the coaches credibility to continue to pound it away because look it, it that's how they ended up with that 28 point lead last thing on this game and then we're going to move on to the Packers and for folks who are listening you know Kevin you're, you're a national writer for ESPN and folks can find you on Twitter at Seifert ESPN and one of the things you talk a lot about and tweet a lot about and write a lot about is rules and, cha- and, and rules changes officiating and all of that 
And obviously, the cha- being able to challenge PI or non-called PIs was a big talker all this offseason. You probably did a lot of interviews about that, and Zim challenged yeah. one. It's going to have to be absolutely obvious and conclusive for them to take away a called PI, right? A- absolutely. It's, it's, and throughout the preseason, it was much more um, likely that they would uh, add a flag when you looked at all the challenges that the coaches made and all the booths. Uh, uh, game stoppages in the final two minutes in overtime, it was much more likely that they would actually add a pass interference call um, than it would be to, to take it away. But the larger, the larger, uh, the larger uh, observation, all that is that everything we saw in the preseason, and for the most part, everything we saw in week one, is that there's going to be a really high standard in general for changing the calls. Mo- almost, uh, I think it was 81% in the preseason of calls. Uh, were upheld, so they wow. weren't changed one way or the other, and that really is the only way this can work. If it gets to the point where people are challenging, and then we're all looking frame by frame to see if if the the defensive back, you know, hooked him, uh, you know, with the crook of his elbow, or just hooked the receiver with with a little bit of his hand, or and how demonstrably did the receiver react? Mm-hmm. If we get into frame by frame analysis of those. Um, situations then uh that's where the fans will revolt the players will revolt the coaches will revolt and this one-year experiment will probably be shelved the the only way that it can stay the way uh, you know beyond a year and actually work is if they really reserve it for the absolute clear unbelievably egregious mistakes that occasionally happen over the course of the season where 50 drunk people in a bar see that, uh, and that's, <laughs> yeah. that's, the, uh, that's not my phrase. That's Mike Holmgren's phrase and a lot of other people in the NFL who were around when replay first started. If 50 drunks in a bar can look at a play and say that was the wrong call, then that's the one you want changed, not the one where if you break down the, the video frame by frame, you can probably see that something happened. So, so this is a serious question. On that play, there was a hands-to-the-face penalty on Trey Waynes, which was declined by the Falcons. They accepted the defensive pass interference call. Um, That is what Coach Zimmer then went to challenge. So is there ever going to be a coach that if maybe the pass interference doesn't look so uh, like you you know it's going to stand and you'll actually just take that other call? Um, you actually accept the the hands to the face penalty rather than accepting the pass interference. It's possible if you're worried about the other coach challenging it and then um, and then uh, you know having it overturned. So you, there's definitely a little bit of strategy, and I talked to some coaches throughout the the preseason about the extent to which that they'll try to um, manipulate this rule to their advantage. And there's definitely some ways. You know, in Chicago actually talking to Chase Daniel, who's their backup quarterback, his idea was on like the second play of a game or whenever you first in the first quarter, whenever you cross the midfield, throw a Hail Mary and then challenge for pass interference. And you basically got yourself uh, um, free 50 yards, if assuming because we all because in his mind, you know, how could they not, you know, find pass interference on a, on a Hail Mary play where guys are pushing and shoving. And so there's that kind of discussion definitely went on in the offseason and the summer and in training camps and I wouldn't be surprised if at some point you see coaches making some weird but I guess in their mind strategic decisions to, to try to manipulate the, this rule to their advantage yep yep okay uh, Vikings Packers Kevin you've been through the drill many many times before any um any Vikings Packers memories games you were at um yeah. games you covered 
anything that you want to share with the folks? I know you have so many stories, but give us give us one memory or one thing that you just think of when it's Vikings Packers week. Yeah, I, I, this will show my age, but the the one I think of is the there you know there used to be always at night, and so um, I mean there would rarely be a time when there'd be a Vikings Packers game during the day in the afternoon. And this one was pouring down rain. I think it was a 2000 season, and it goes to overtime, and that's the Antonio Freeman um, the Antonio Freeman catch over uh, on Chris the Dishman. Yeah, where Chris Dishman yeah. is the defender, and he, along with everyone else, had no idea that Antonio Freeman had actually caught the ball. And so that's not a, a great Vikings memory, but my, my, my memory of that moment was uh, my then Star Tribune colleague, Sid Hartman, mm-hmm. uh, standing on, uh, on his feet in the press box, pounding on the glass, <sighs> saying, uh, he dropped the ball, the ball hit the ground, the ball hit the ground, it's not a touchdown. And so, and he even I think Denny Green was the coach then, and he's like, "Denny didn't, you know, he got downstairs. Denny didn't the ball touch the ground?" And Denny yeah. actually said, "No, Sid, uh, we saw the replay. It was one of the greatest catches you'll ever see, and yeah. we're moving on." Yeah, so that, that's pretty that, good. I don't know if that, that if I had time to think if that would have been my memory, but that's the first thing that popped in my head was Sid in the Lambeau Field press box, you mm-hmm. know, pounding on the the glass, saying, oh, "It's not a ball touch the ball." That's pretty good. That's a pretty good one. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I don't know if we'll have that kind of drama in this game or not, Kevin, at Lambeau Field, but what do you expect from this uh, edition of Vikings versus Packers? Actually, you know, two weeks ago I would have probably picked the Packers, but I think I'm picking the Vikings this week. I was um, reserving judgment on the Packers until we saw their offense in a a regular season situation because it would be totally understandable if they went through the preseason really blah um, and that whatever – wrinkles Matt LaFleur the new coach was going to introduce would not be shown and obviously Aaron Rodgers didn't play at all but I know the Bears have a good defense but I didn't see a whole lot different from that Green Bay offense than what I'd seen previously that sort of suggested it was time to to you know overhaul the coaching staff so maybe they have some more wrinkles that'll come but if that if what we if the approach that we saw uh in that um Thursday night game against the Bears is what the Packers intend to try to win with. It doesn't appear as though they're going to be nearly as explosive as maybe people had hoped. And so I look at the Vikings defense, you know, right on par with the Bears in terms of being able to, to, to hold back that, that Packers offense. And then, uh, and then we'll get our first true sense of, of what the Vikings offense will do in a game that's probably going to be much more competitive in that you know, than the Falcons was in the first half and maybe the second. But I do think that they, um, from a defensive standpoint, have a really good chance at, at shutting down that Packers offense. And then there's uh, was enough good things to see in week one offensively for the Vikings to think that they'll have a chance to score more than the Bears did against mm-hmm. the Packers defense. Well, looking forward to watching it. I'm sure you are too. And uh, excited yeah. to hear your thoughts on the game after it happens. And uh, I always enjoy our chats and exchanges. And I know our fans enjoy when you come on and, uh, and give us your thoughts and information. So thank you for all the time today, Kevin. We appreciate it. Have a good rest of the week. Folks can check out your work at ESPN.com, of course. And, uh, and we like to send them there because you always have good stuff. Thanks, Kevin. Well, thank you, Robbie. Appreciate it. You bet. All right. We're joined now by uh, one of our guests for the day, and he's going to give us some information on the adversary for the week on the Green Bay Packers. It's Wes Hodkowitz of Packers.com. You can find him on Twitter, at Wes Hod, at W-E-S-H-O-D. Give him a follow, especially this week as we get ready to play the Green Bay Packers. What's up, Wes? Oh, not much. How are you guys doing? We're pretty good. We're 1-0. 
Yeah, <laughs> it feels good, right? Yeah, it does feel good. You know the feeling. You guys are 1-0 as well after you beat the Chicago Bears. And uh, the schedule makers, of course, do you a favor like they always do, and they give you extra days to get ready for us. So that's great. <laughs> <laughs> Funny how it works out that way. Yeah, yeah, interesting. (laughs) We're Um, we're just happy we get to play a warm game out there in Green Bay for the first time in I don't know how many years has it been that we 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 played one last year out there. Did we play one last year? Yeah. God, it always seems like it's cold there when we go. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah, those cold winds blowing. No, it is neat, though. I mean, someone actually in one of the columns that we do for our website, someone asked about that, about how I feel about, you know, the the division games to start off the season. I don't know what you guys think about it. I really like it. Because it's just, I feel like it makes September a lot more compelling to get some meaningful matchups. So to go back to back with the Bears and the Vikings, I think for me, as far as from a coverage standpoint, I don't think you could really ask for a better narrative to to start a season. Yeah, you know, and and you don't, um, you know, you don't need to really um, sell early season games in general, but you can also go uh, in the opposite extreme and just have everything in the world to sell, which is what you guys have. You also have a bunch of home games early on in your schedule. So right. it's a big opportunity for, sure. for Green Bay to take control early, and I'm sure that that's what you guys have talked about, and I'm sure that's sort of what you're hearing in the locker room as well. Yeah, and, and I think it was one of the things, too, in the locker room after the game at Soldier Field, and you guys know what it's like in there. It's such a tight quarters. And Preston Smith and Zadarius Smith, the Packers' two off-season acquisitions at outside linebacker, they were talking to the media, and Preston even said it himself, too, like, we feel with the defensive performance that they had against the Bears, we feel like we woke a lot of people up. And I think it's those type of matchups that when you can take on a team that's a defending division champion that's had the success and the expectations that the Bears have and sort of switch that and pull some of that momentum right off the bat, I think it's one of those things that this team probably really needed coming off of how last year ended, the fact that they didn't actually win a road game until that comeback in, against the New York Jets, uh, you know, right, at, right around Christmas time. So it's, uh, it's those, type of, uh, those type of victories, I think, that can really catapult you into a season. And obviously the Packers now trying to, uh, you know, build some of that momentum under Matt LaFleur. My biggest takeaway from that game on Thursday night was hearing Aaron Rodgers in the postgame interview. I think it was Michelle Tafoya, and he said, Oh yeah, we have a defense. We have a defense. I mean, yeah. when do you hear him say when you hear him say something like that? I mean, he must be pretty confident in how the defense looks going against them every day in practice. Yeah, and I think that was probably the biggest thing uh for Rodgers because you know, he didn't play in the preseason and, and to be honest with you, the way he was talking, he didn't really seem like there was a big need for him to because you got to remember he was going up against Mike Pettin's scheme in those players every single day during training camp and seeing it frequently during the offseason program. Petten wasn't playing with kid gloves. I mean, he, he was throwing unscouted looks at him. He was doing different things. And I think Rodgers really felt like after seeing that type of defense and what they were doing, he wanted to see it in real action. And to go out there and put that performance together against Mitchell Trubisky, the fact that they were 3 of 15, the Bears were on third downs, the Packers stopped them several times on fourth down, that's something that these last few years, it's really been a struggle for Green Bay trying to, you know, find those stops when they need them. Regardless if it's third and short or third and long, they've just had those gutted plays where that I think just can be demoralizing for a defense when you can't get the, the stop that you really need it. From my perspective, covering the game, that was probably as dominant of a performance as I can recall. I know last year they shut out the Buffalo Bills, but it didn't feel like that. I mean, this one, it felt like every single time that defense took the field, they were going to get the stop when they needed it in a close ball game. 
And, you know, obviously they did to be able to, to close it in the waning seconds with that Preston Smith sack. Wes, um, I think you guys were in a 6DB personnel grouping uh, much of the game and definitely in 5DBs most of the game. Yeah. Um, do you think that is a Mike Pettin thing for the season, or do you think that's because you were playing a scrambling running quarterback? Well, it's, it's two things. I think one is the Packers really don't have a second inside linebacker at the moment. Uh, with Oren Burks dealing with that chest injury, that partially torn pec that he suffered in the first preseason game, Blake Martinez is kind of the lone inside linebacker. They have a seventh-round pick in Ty Summers that played during the preseason, but he's still coming along. He was only on special teams. Then they traded for B.J. Goodson. So what they did in this particular matchup, and we'll see what their plan is going forward these next couple weeks, but they took Raven Green, who was an undrafted safety last year, and they played him in the box with Blake Martinez basically the entire game. To give you an idea of how uh, how big of a change this was, I mean, Green last year played right around 100 snaps, I think, on defense the entire season. He played 57 in this game. Uh, he's been prepared for that hybrid role. Mike Pettin likes that hybrid role. But the one variation we saw against the Bears was that they stuck with a five-man front with one true inside linebacker. They've done those hybrid nickel packages where you play the safety next to the, the inside linebacker, but we hadn't really seen that 3-3-5 three, three, look before. Matt LaFleur kind of downplayed that a little bit and said it's just you know it's just scheming, it's just what the game was. But I think that that wrinkle is pretty interesting because – if the Packers choose to still use that going forward, there's a lot of different ways that you can pivot off of that depending on what kind of matchups you're looking for. I think Kenny Clark is really good. Do you? Yeah. Yeah, I do. Um, and, and let's be honest. I mean, one of the things I thought was a weak point for this defense in years past, they didn't have that Linville Joseph-type defensive tackle that they could just, you know, control a football game, that they can, they can, they can defend the run, but they can make impacts in different ways. They, they had a player like that in Ryan Pickett a number of years ago, but mm -hmm. Pickett was mostly just a run player. The thing that is interesting and intriguing about Kenny Clark's long-term potential is the fact that he can pretty much do it all. I mean, he can get after the passer when they need him to. You guys will see it in those dime packages. I mean, Kenny Clark is, in some cases, the only defensive, true defensive lineman that's in there, but yet you can play him in the early rundowns. You can use him in a nickel and get him jet rushing up the field. And Petten really moved those guys around a lot. I just like the synergy that we saw with, with him and, and the two Smiths and Dean Lowry, who just got an extension. Uh, there, there is a lot of comfort right now with that defensive front. And I think when you're looking at the, the vision and what they want this identity to be defensively, Kenny Clark's going to be a big part of that. He's a good locker room guy. Last year he won the Media Guy Award uh, for his dealings with the Green Bay Press. And he's just an all-around decent human being who also happens to be a pretty exceptional football player from a narrative standpoint Wes uh, before the season started before you guys kicked off with the Bears uh, if you wanted to poke holes in the Packers it was new head coach and veteran quarterback and do they get along and Rodgers learning sure. a new offense right the, that was like kind of the fun thing to poke at Green Bay about then you play the game and your defense balls out and holds Chicago to three points and you win so then everyone's talking about your defense but if you were one of those hanging on that narrative I mentioned before the game about the new offense, you'd say, ah, they only scored 10 points. So do sure. you do you say, do you, do you just, are you like, well, we were at Soldier Field against a really good defense, what more do you expect? Or do you think there's some credence to maybe a slow start for the offense? So what do you expect in week two? 
I could see a little bit of both because here's the thing. There isn't, I, I was mentioning this in one of the columns we do on our website. Like there, you go from the bears to the Vikings. There isn't a whole lot of let up there. Um, the Vikings even are a little bit more veteran and, and have a little bit more, um, you know, chemistry with a lot of those pieces being in place for multiple years. So the challenge is going to be the exact same for this Packers offense. I feel as it was last week with the only difference being now you're at home, it would be more favorable in communication standpoint. The thing that, in terms of why I think long-term there's a lot of optimism here with this offense is because Aaron Rodgers is on board, uh, regardless of what the narrative has been. And I think a lot of it was trying to fill the void in the offseason. Uh, Rodgers is genuinely excited about this scheme and what Matt LaFleur could potentially bring. And although there was some sputtering, I mean, they had three straight three and outs against Chicago, that fourth series I thought really spoke to what this offense could be, and that was where they ended up hitting Marquez Valdez-Scantling on the 47-yard play right off the bat. He came back with a pass to Mercedes Lewis, who's going to be more involved in this offense this season, had a 10-yard pass to Devontae Adams, and then on a 50-50 ball, which was probably more like a 50-0 because he, he caught the you know the Bears with 12 men on the field, he was able to, to connect with Jimmy Graham on an 8-yard touchdown. Mm-hmm. Four plays, the full length of the field, and really playing within rhythm and tempo. That's what this offense is looking for. Packers are going to be playing a lot more under center this season, uh, you know, in normal game situations. You're going to see more two tight end looks. They brought back the fullback with Danny Vitale last year. Probably for the first time, honestly, in franchise history, they went into a season without a fullback. I don't ever recall that happening before. But, they, you know, they're getting back to some more of those true tried and true West Coast principles. And, and I think that's the reason why when Rodgers sees what the defense is doing, he feels like, you know, they're going to have to get their, you know, they want to get this thing pulled together quickly. They want to get back to being a, a really high-octane offense. But I think there is a little bit of relief that it doesn't necessarily have to be this, you know, this air show every single week where they're trying to outscore the opposition. All right, Wes. Um, folks can go to Packers.com to check out your guys' coverage of this game and also Packers Unscripted. Have you dropped that for the week yet, your podcast with Spofford? Yeah, we do that every day of the week. So okay. uh, once Monday once Monday comes around, uh, we just we just recorded another one here. So obviously, trying to preview this matchup and and get a feel for what uh, what this thing's going to look like on Sunday. All right, man. Have a good week preparing for the game. We'll see you on Sunday at Lambeau. Okay. Thanks, Wes. All right. Thanks, guys. All Appreciate right. it. Okay, our thanks to the two guests for joining us to talk Vikings and Packers, Kevin Seifert and Wes Hodkowitz. Great information from them. Okay, let's do the top five, Chris. Top five defensive performances from week one. I took a scan of all the games and the box scores and of uh, you know what I saw, the games I watched and the highlights, and I thought, you know what? There was a lot of points scored in the NFL in week one, a lot of high-scoring games. So let's give some love to the good defensive performances that we saw uh, from week one. So that's the top five list for today. Number five is actually going to be a team that we've talked a lot about already on the podcast. Who is it? Green Bay Packers. I have to give it to them. Well, I, I think I have them a little bit higher. The, I hate to say the it. The number five? The number five, because they really put on a show on the road at Soldier Field in Chicago in front of a national audience. Yeah. I, uh, I mean, three points allowed. They sacked Mitchell Trubisky five times. They were on the road. We heard a lot about the improved defense, and they, they came and showed it. So I have them at five. Where do you have them in your top five? I have them at two, two. because okay. I right. think that's pretty good. We had, Wes pretty much summed it up for you what they did. Um, they obviously had 
less on the linebacker front showing that, but their defensive backs really played yeah. well. Jair Alexander, the cornerback, the young corner there, I think he did a really good job yeah. in this game. Number four for me, the Baltimore Ravens, who went to Miami, who I know is not you know an offensive juggernaut, at least not yet. Um, they got a lot of new pieces there with a new head coach. But the Ravens go on the road to Miami, and they surrender 10 points. They have three sacks and two picks, and they win 647 to 10. <laughs> This is basically what they did. Lamar Jackson had five touchdowns, right? He had five yeah, touchdowns. I mean, he the, played. People say he can't throw the ball. Man, can, he he was uh, slinging the rock. The the Ravens put it on the Dolphins in Week One, and a big part of it was not just the offense. It was a really good defensive performances. Do, uh, defensive performance. Do you have the Ravens in your top five? They are number four for me. I left them off because well, of the competition. Caliber of opponent. Okay, number three for me. The New England Patriots on Sunday Night Football. They host Ben Roethlisberger. Judy Juju Smith-Schuster, James Conner, et al., and they give up three points. They win 33-3. The defense balls out. Roethlisberger, zero touchdowns, one pick. James Conner, 21 yards rushing for the game. Not on a drive or in a half. For the game, James Conner, 21 yards rushing. The Patriots, number three on my list. Yeah, they're not my favorite team out there. I, I think I've documented that, but I put them at number one because okay. Ooh, okay. I did because they let up three points against the Steelers offense that is pretty darn good. And we we talk about Tom Brady, we talk about all of those targets that he has, but man, this defense, Bill Belichick somehow finds a way to get these role players, these guys are, who are good at one specific thing, and he puts them in positions to just make plays and, and, and obviously make stops and not yeah. allow touchdowns, which they did not allow one. So, so number five great. for me, Packers. Number four, Ravens. Number three, Patriots. Number two, Skull. Skull. Minnesota I mean, come Vikings. on. They were yeah. Minnesota Vikings. Unbelievable. At home against a really good offense. Four sacks, two picks. Basically pitched a shutout until like, I don't know, eight minutes to go, Garbage nine time. minutes to go in the game. We gave up two touchdowns that didn't matter. Inconsequential scores, essentially. 128-12, to 12, but I was licking my chops in the fourth quarter thinking, ooh, looking in my media guy, when's the last time we had a shutout? Ooh, it was the Green Bay Packers. Ooh, we play them next week. I was thinking shutout, but uh, we didn't quite get it. But a really good defensive performance by the Vikings, number two on my list. Where are they on yours? They are number three on my list. Okay. I have the Pats at number one. I have the Packers. Unfortunately, I had to put them at number two just because of that performance on the road. Vikings right there behind them. But I think the Vikings are going to do it every week. So I, I put the Packers yeah. one, one ahead okay. because I don't see it happening very okay, often. I, I don't that. see it happening in week two. So I had to put them put them there in a tough environment. It's love it. field. But, yeah, the Vikings, I, I think, will be number one. So who's week. missing? Who's number one on the list for me? Can you guess? Number one on the list for you has to be, let's see here. Was it the Bears? No, Titans. The Titans. The Tennessee Titans go on the road to Cleveland. OBJ, Jarvis Landry, Nick Chubb, Baker Mayfield. And uh, that's going to be a good offense. Like the Browns are not a bad offense that just, you know, that that they're they're lame. The the Browns are going to be good and score a lot of points. And the Titans said, nope, not this week. Sorry. The Titans, three picks and five sacks of Baker Mayfield. Nick Chubb, who's really good, was not a factor. OBJ, um, disappointed fantasy owners. I think he had like 70 receiving yards or something like that. So I thought it was a really good performance by the Titans. Yeah, Mike Variable knows how to coach a defense, that's That's for sure. Okay, fan voicemail time. The question for last week, your favorite game in Vikings history. We got three of them. Let's start it with number one. 
Hey, Wabi and Chris, Viking fan Aaron from Green Bay. Man, what a great topic for this week. Favorite Viking game ever. For me, there's more to go into a game than just what you see happen on the field and the plays that are made and the yards and and those kind of things. And um, branches out more to the people that you're with and the memories that you make. And so for me, it was the year that my son had turned nine years old, my oldest, and he's a very intellectual kid. And he just never really saw the point of watching football on television. I was living in Michigan at the time. And he, you know, he gave a sense to football and whatever, but he started playing it. He started to like it. And so we had played a couple of games in his league that year. And we sat down. The year was 2009. It was a home game. It was week three. Brett Favre had just become a member of the Packers. And he knew enough to me that he liked Brett Favre, if nothing else. And uh, we were watching the game, and uh, Mike Singletary was the flavor of the month. He had had a good start to the season. He was HOF as a linebacker, and they played exceptionally well, particularly in the third quarter. Um, things started to kind of go against the Vikings. And if you look at the stat line, you thought that the Vikings would have done really well in that game. But um, a turnover... Um, and then, you know, just a lot of uh, impotence on offense throughout the second half, interrupted by one 101-yard kickoff return by Percy Harvin. And then you get down toward the end, and uh, the Vikings turn over on downs, and they stop the Niners to get the ball back. They get down, and, of course, everybody all knows the, the play when uh, Brett Favre hits Greg Lewis on the back line of the end zone. And, oh, my heavens, and the whole thing – comes unglued and my son had stopped and he had sat with me for most of the fourth quarter and when that pass became complete he looked at me wide-eyed and he looked back at the television and arms went up from the officials and everybody started celebrating and we started yelling and he started yelling he started jumping up and down and he's been a viking fan ever since it's one of the greatest memories of my life Aww. thanks guys school bikes that's pretty good that's that is awesome. i like when the the personal connections are always when, yep. when you talk about you're watching it with your family and uh, I mean, that's awesome. Yeah, that is awesome. All right, number two. Hey, this is Ned from Salt Lake City, Utah, longtime Minnesota Vikings fan. My favorite game in Minnesota Vikings history is going all the way back to 1980, the first miracle in Minnesota, the miracle at the Met, December 14th, 1980. Tommy Kramer leading the game-winning drive first on a hook and ladder play to Joe Sensor and then a lateral to Teddy Brown, followed by the 46-yard miracle catch to Ahmad Rashad to put the Minnesota Vikings into the playoffs in the 1980 season. I was seven years old. I still remember that game. Awesome. I'm getting the chills listening yeah. to some yeah, of this these. this is good. I love it. We got an old school one from back in the day, and we got a fairly new school one from 09, the Greg Lewis play. All right, number three. Hey, Wabi. Uh, Ted from Minnetonka. I uh, listened to, to the podcast. Uh, thought it was a pretty good episode. Wanted to call in on the Vikings nostalgia. And uh, unfortunately, favorite game, I guess, is Brett Favre's last game against the Chicago Bears at TCS. Um, I was home at the time from leave in the military, and got an opportunity to take in the game and uh, actually be on the field and stand on the Vikings sidelines and take that atmosphere in and have a great experience with uh, our kicker, Ryan Longwell, and take it all in. Um, unfortunately, it was Brett Favre's last game, but from a fan experience, um, you know, the anticipation of him, was he going to play that game? Was he not going to play that game? And being down there early and seeing Brett all covered up in warm clothes and covering his face and 
trying to get loose and, and seeing that, you know, from up close and personal is quite the cool experience. And, uh, yeah, thanks for that. Just hoping you guys have some awesome stories this year. Let's go Vikes. All right, that's awesome. What is it about Brett Favre that just brings out so much emotion in every? Yeah, it's, yeah, it's amazing. It yeah, really is. It, it is, and he's he's an icon. He's an NFL icon. He's not just a great player. He was someone who was able to draw that emotion from people for him or against him. You know. So I lied. I think I'm, I was just teasing our, our buddy Van because oh. we actually have four voices. Oh, <laughs> Van, you're in, Van. All right, let's hear from Van. Howdy, folks. It's Van from Fort Worth, Texas. From the mouth of the South, the Minnesota Vikings capital of the South, that is. Speaking of mouth of the South, all right, all right, all right. How you been? You heard about the preseason getting busted, right? Not to worry. We got a brand new regular season being prepped as we speak. It's out of the moon tie. Full kegs. Everyone's going to be there. You got to go. Now, I'm here to talk about the Minnesota Vikings. You know, V-I-K-I-N-S. Keep on Vikings. My fellow Buckaroos, Wobby and Chris, asked me what is my favorite Vikings game I've ever seen in all of history. Well, since I wasn't around back in 800 A.D. or so to watch actual Vikings play a game they called Pillage the Village, I'd have to say my favorite Vikings game was the Minneapolis Miracle game. My buds and I were watching it at a sports bar in Dallas, and that place went hog wild when Diggs caught that pass from that Texan, Case Keenum. I wish we would have won that Super Bowl that season, because it would have been a lot cooler if we did. Now you'll have to excuse me, Wobby and Chris. I'm going to go grab a sixer and play a little foosball, man. <laughs> Go, all right. I, <laughs> Matthew McConaughey loves the Minnesota Vikings podcast. He does the voices every week, and he does do a good job. And I mean, how do we? How do you not include Matthew McConaughey right. when you get a chance? So. All right, thank you, thank Van. you, Van. We appreciate it, and thank you everyone for calling and leaving voicemails. We appreciate those, and uh, we want you to do it for next week's show. And the topic for next week: border battle. What's your favorite ritual or story? concerning a fan rivalry you have with a Green Bay Packers fan. That's pretty good. Let us know. 952-918-8438. 952-918-8438. Favorite ritual or story that you have with another Green Bay Packers fan. Or send us anything else you want to send us. Give us an opinion. Send us a question. We'll try and include it on the Minnesota Vikings podcast. All right. Do we have anything else to do? Mosh. Yeah, we got one more thing. We got Mosh. Your <laughs> combo with Mosh. How'd it go, dude? Mosh, I mean, I saw him sitting uh, in our little lobby area. Mosh, he came to the facility before the first game against um, the Atlanta Falcons, and he was here to drop off some cleats for one of our players. So um, really interesting guy, and, man, does he have a good life. So let's take a listen to that. All right. All right, this week's guest is a special guest. It's Mosh, who actually designs the cleats for some of your favorite Viking players. Mosh, what, what is it like to just be in this uh, TCO Performance Center and see where the Vikings practice every day? It's crazy because, I mean, I had the fortunate experience to be at Winter Park and see how where they came from. Oh, yeah. And to come here, fast forward, it's just miles and miles ahead of Anything I could have imagined, you know, it's obviously beautiful and it's just cool they keep on building on it. 
So it's definitely a good uh, a good selling point for free agents to come here. Obviously, yeah, and of I course. think people want to stay. And now you know why people want to stay. Yep. For sure. So we are here before the week one game against the Atlanta Falcons. Can you explain to the fans why you're here today, um, a few days before the game? Well, well, first off, I'm coming for the game. That's how it started. I love and, that. And because you know, Skull Vikes. But I, um, I'm out here to finally deliver Stefan Diggs cleats for this week. I've been doing his cleats for the last four seasons now, and I've never actually had the opportunity to just hand them off. I'm always mailing them out to Dennis and getting them handed off or having to text them to see what it looks like. So DJ Ski and obviously the Vikings have set it up, so we're going to do a little little film time and little 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 piece with Steph and I to you know kind of talk about our story with the cleats and whatnot. And obviously we're going to start week one with Atlanta. Yeah, that's awesome. So Mosh has been doing Stefan Diggs cleats for a long time now. Those crazy colorways and custom uh, things that you see on, on Diggs' cleats all over social media, that's done by yours truly right here, Mosh. So um, what is it like? How did you get into this business, and how did you get into working with a lot of the Vikings? Not just Diggs, but you do like a ton of the Vikings yeah, cleats. I mean, it's unbelievable. Adam, Barr, uh, uh, Griff. Uh, and then obviously, you know, when we do my cause, my cleats, you know, half the team. Yep. I split the duties now with um, with uh, Salvatore, who's a local artist, who's also a very talented guy and a good dude. But um, yeah, I've been customizing and doing. I've been an artist all my life. Um, you know, always drawing pictures out of Slam magazine and portraits and things like that, drawing on sneakers. Yep. And I played sports. I played, you know, and, and I always did art. Um, but the actual doing custom sneakers started. 17 years ago that's when i started doing it it's unbelievable and i this is obviously well before social media there wasn't even you know myspace then <laughs> at that point i so, remember myspace I'm, I'm feeling old remembering myspace man <laughs> every day i wake up in the morning i feel old yeah. <laughs> but uh yeah it, it's um i saw a magazine article of someone doing art on shoes and always i've always been the competitive type now so like, i could do better than that yeah so i went and got some paint from the the craft store and some beat up Air Max in my mom's basement. I'm painting on them, and actually they they were shades of purple. Go go figure. I love that. But um, yeah, I mean in hindsight they were terrible because they weren't properly prepped. There was there wasn't the right paint. It was none of that stuff. So you know, but I wore them to the barber shop, and the barber's like, "Oh, when did Nike come out with those shoes?" And I was like, "I made them." And I'm like, wow, you know. So like you probably fast forward a month later, every barber in the shop's wearing my shoes. So that was like that's how it started. Bigging me up. That was social media back then. You're yeah. in the barber shop. Everyone talks. Yep. You know what I mean? So I, I started you know getting better and better what I was doing. I felt comfortable to actually charge money for my services, and I was still obviously working on the side. It wasn't like how it is now. And you know, then you kind of fast forward to social media era and time and things like that you know getting catching the eye of lebron and you know doing stuff for him and Dwayne wade and all these different guys and obviously that kind of put me in more of a uh, mainstream um audience because obviously you get people in iowa and i mean even minnesota know know who i am now because yeah. because of that you know i was i'm from new york so you know in the new york area people knew who i was in sneaker world or whatever just because i built my own reputation and it wasn't you know by doing a post on instagram i was going out and handing my shoes out to people and getting my card out and you know, actually going out and having face-to-face interactions. It's unbelievable. But I think the kind of being raised in that era helped me now because now, you know, these younger guys, they value, you know, the face-to-face interactions and the relationships because that's so much more important. I mean, obviously, you know, getting paid is great and all, but, you know, you have a friendship and some of where they know if they need something done in two days, Mosh is the guy that will get it done. I don't know how it's going to get done, but he'll figure out a way to get it done. 
How do you balance? I mean, so it's just word of mouth where this started. You, you talked about working with NBA players like LeBron and Dwayne Wade and people like that, and then word gets out. How do you manage? I mean, you're doing how many cleats a week at this point? How many NBA shoes a week? You do MLB players as well. How, I mean, how do you manage just doing all these cleats? I mean, and they're not just, it's not just like an easy job to put together these pairs of cleats. I mean, no, it's it's crazy because the, the way that the custom sneaker culture has grown, I'd say in the last like five, six years, it, it was really taboo when I first started. You know, it was kind of like, you know, when you just painted colors on shoes, you didn't want to be confused with having some fake sneakers on. Like, because, you know, you see the flea market Jordans with all these crazy colorways and they were fake. But, yep. you know, so it was almost sacrilegious to do Jordans back then. Um, but, you know, I was doing Air Force Ones and Dunks and things like that. But what I was doing was like, I was an artist. So I would always like actually do real artwork on them. And again, you know, as I learned how to do things properly and how to prep shoes and how to, you know, so the first time you wear them, they don't crack and peel like, yep. the, like the first pair did. Yep. <laughs> you learn how to do it. But um, it, it the balance of it, it's just crazy how it's gone because now I work with corporations. I I did shoes for Jay Z's four 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 tour. I did all his shoes. <laughs> That's awesome. Like it's crazy. I did shoes for Nipsey Hussle right before he got killed. I was doing. I was at. I was at the Grammy brunch with him, and it, it's crazy. Then I'm not talking about going into baseball season. Then it's football season. Like I used to have like a um, an off season. Well, not yeah. an off season, but like a slower time. You know, and that's where my friends were like, hey, you know, when you know you get a little bit of time, you know, squeeze them in. I don't have it anymore, which is a blessing. <laughs> You're you know, working all seasons. Yeah, I mean, I mean, obviously it's a blessing, and it's great. You know that the phone's always ringing, and you know I just work really hard to make sure that stays that way. Because when it's not ringing, then we got a problem. So. Can you reveal to the fans what you what you're doing for Stefan Diggs for this Week One game? Um, when when is this airing? This is airing the week after the game. So oh, we're, we're good. good. Okay, <laughs> we're clear. With that being said, we promise. <laughs> so one of the things that me and Steph always do, and it's we've been doing this probably the last three years. I really always want to do a theme, like the theme of the cleat. If it's not an idea that he already has in his head, sometimes he already has an idea of like a a movie or a show yep. or an album or whatever whatever it is. If he doesn't have an idea, I try to make the theme co- coincide with the team they're playing. So it used to just be on the, wherever they're on the road. Say like when we, they're in Detroit, I would do the eight mile Eminem cleat. You know, when they were in Detroit, I did the Martin cleat. Yeah. You know, I, you know, I'm, just, I'm trying to think of different places. Uh, when they were in Philly, I did the ECW belt. And it's it, so cool. And some of these things, like I'm, I'm putting Steph on the game too because you know he's a, <laughs> he's a young dude. I forget that I'm like so much older than him. So like. You know, he didn't know about ECW wrestling back then. <laughs> so, but yeah, but he's getting props. Martin, for, like, oh, he knows about Martin. Yeah, he knows about. But, but, that's an but, old show, though. Yeah, oh, it is. But you know, there's reruns, thankfully. But yeah. ECW, you got to really, you have to really be about wrestling to go and find that. Yeah. But you know, he knew all about it, and he knows all about it now. And he's like, like the wrestling darling. You know, he doesn't know about it. Yeah. But I remember after he wore those cleats, he was like, "Yo, I need, a, I need a, a, a WWE belt." <laughs> I was like, of course you do. <laughs> that is so funny. But it, it's always fun to go with him because you know he really trusts my vision. I think the f- couple of times he was like, "Are you sure?" Like I remember like, I did a SpongeBob cleat, and it was like one of the first SpongeBob cleats. Like I know a lot of people have done the, the theme now, and he's kind of very in fashion right now you know, he is like, in fashion we know that so i did it like two two seasons ago because he was still in nike so that was two seasons ago and i did it and i told him like, i'm gonna do spongebob cleats and luckily the yellow fell into the team color guidelines so he didn't even get fined for those which is <laughs> great so but he was like spongebob like sure i'm like dude just trust me and then he got him and he's like i'm never gonna doubt you ever again <laughs> so so we've had a really good rapport like that and it's just it, it's cool to have you know you know he's someone who's who's 
been building his star and his reputation over the years. Absolutely. I remember when he was a fifth-round draft pick and just battling to make the team yes, in sir. 2015, so it's unbelievable where yeah. he's come. Yeah, man. I, I actually got I got his Maryland jersey. That's awesome. <laughs> um, so it's all good and fun doing those cool um, – I, I guess you could say pop culture type cleats. Of course. But then there's My Cause, My Cleats, which started in the NFL a few years ago. Um, it's picked up every single year since the NFL started it. Yeah, so now, can, now it spans for three weeks. Yeah, it's unbelievable. So can you talk about what it's like to um, create these cleats for players um, for their charity of choice um, and what a responsibility that is to just – these players are showing off what means the most to them in those few weeks of the NFL season, and you're the guy who puts them together. So. Yeah, well, I mean, and, and now I, I always want to give Salvatore's props too, yeah, because you know, when absolutely. I, but when I first when we first started it, you know, it was it was still kind of in its infancy, and guys didn't really know what it was about yet. So I remember I was I was delivering cleats to like Jarius Wright and a couple other guys. I was Jarius was the first guy I ever did Viking I ever did cleats for. That's that's awesome. And He's a fan favorite. That's great, for sure. great dude, man, and I I. Happy he's doing his thing in Carolina. My mom lives in Charlotte, so you know, she'll, yeah, she'll go go cheer him on for me. But <laughs> I, I'm still in contact with him and stuff. But you know, shout out to Jarius. But um, yeah, so I went and I delivered cleats, and you know, while I was in there delivering stuff to Rudy and, and a couple other guys, um, they were kind of like, "Well, you should go talk to some of these guys and find, you know, see if they want to get down." So yeah. like, I walked in and dropped off two pairs of cleats. I came home back to New York with like 15 pairs of cleats. <laughs> <laughs> and you know some of these guys like did he, didn't even know what was going on. I had to exp- I had to explain what my cause my cleats was. You know and now it's such a big thing and it's cool because now so many guys are involved and like I said now now it's it can't just be a one man job. I mean, it can be but you know I handle for my cause my cleats. I would handled half the Vikings last year, all the New York Giants and their staff, which is 125 pairs just for the Giants. How do you get all those done, bro? Uh, <laughs> your, it, it was crazy. Are you working in the middle of the night or yeah. like? Yeah, I that's was. That's unbelievable. And, and, and l- luckily, I do. Ha- I have uh, guys that help me out for like prep and you know, like the basic color, like things that you can be taught on YouTube. Yeah, those are what those guys do. Like gotcha. obviously, when they come to me for artwork, on they're coming for Mosh for artwork. So I'm never gonna start start pulling Andy Warhols. Yeah, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm not at that stage yet. So, so that might flare the, the head to some people, but yeah. So it, it's I, I tell these guys, you know, I, I've learned over the years. The sooner the better. Like I'm already gonna be talking to Dennis and talking to everybody. Like yo, get the cleats here yeah. now, so we can just start banging them out. Because you know, I mean, look, Dennis Ryan, the Vikings equipment yes, manager, sir. the unsung hero. Yeah, that's he, right. He's a champion, man. He um he, he's always good. You know, it ever he'll just send me. I don't even know what's coming. So he'll just send, just send him. I don't even know. That's awesome. So it's great. But um yeah, so with, with the guys, I mean, obviously a lot of the guys have their charities every year. Like I always know, like Harry's always going to be going with Big Brothers Big Sisters. Yep. I know that you know Diggs always going with the Heart Association. You know, the, and I know and Thielen has his foundation. And all these, you know, Rudy has fifteen charities now. He, yep. he works with so many people. It's great. He's know, definitely like the, community community man of the year yeah, right here. Like that's the UM for sure. Health and all that stuff. So, um, so we get an idea, and obviously some of the guys I have more relationships with than others but obviously you know that but i also i'm out in new york so i'm not i can't just roll up to the performance center and start talking yep you know and, and building reports so the guys that i know you know we text and whatever but then the other ones you know i work with the people in the community relations to really get get the points across and i'm hoping this year that i'll actually get a chance to come back out here and really talk to all the guys so i can get more feedback because last year i did you know i obviously had the the charities and things for all the guys but then there were some that like the the 
I didn't get a chance to get as much one-on-one time as I would have liked to. Absolutely. So what ended up happening was I would start him, and then maybe then Salvatore, who's local, would add a couple more things. So we're like, oh, let's add this. And I was like, oh, I was like, you know, it's it's cool for him to do. But I was like, I'd rather have it so you know we get the experience and Absolutely. all that. But um, it's it's awesome and it's cool that they they spread up for three weeks now because now everyone has a home game. Yep. Because I remember the first year it was against Dallas and it was it was that. And color. it's on the road. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So I remember that that first game it was the color rush game for when we had that against Dallas. And then you can get real crazy with some colors. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so it's always fun. Yeah, that's cool to hear. My last question for you, and I'm going to wrap this up. Okay. How many pairs of shoes do you have? How many Ugh, Jordans, Nikes, God. Adidas, Pumas? All of them. We were talking. Can you put a number on it? Because it all starts with your love of shoes. I grew up loving shoes, yeah. and and we clearly have that in common. So how many do you have? Because I'm jealous of the collection. I mean, you're you're buying shoes on your phone. Like that's awesome to me. So how many shoes do you have? I, it's crazy because I mean, I'm, again, I I'm always thankful because i was a kid that grew up in a trailer park and i couldn't afford sneakers so like i would mow lawns and shovel driveways to get my first pair of jordans that's and like, so awesome and that was what that was what i wore you know uh, in the school until the soles fell off and then i was like <laughs> you better start shoveling boy because you know at the end of the day a hundred dollars back then you know that was a lot, of, a lot money. of money yeah. it still is yeah. i mean some people still can't afford that stuff yep. so i'm blessed and you know and thankfully you know I shelled out 150 for these uh, purple and those yellow ones, Jordans are, yeah, right here. Retail's, retail's 170. You got them on sale? Yeah, I got them yeah, on man. sale on the finish line. At least or you waited. You waited. <laughs> yep. Air but, Jordan 13s and the purple and yellow. I had to do it they were for call, the start of the season. They were calling, they're calling the Lakers. Calling. I mean, those are the Randy Moss colorway. They call them the Lakers online. Bro, and I was like, that's Randy Moss. That, that's the same exact things he wore. That's what I went for. But, um,. It's crazy because, like you know, brand, brands now, you know, with the, with the platform I built, they send me shoes. So I, I would say eighty percent of the time they just send them, which is great. So, but, awesome. but you know, but obviously, you know, if there's something I really want, I, you I'll go get, get it. Yeah. yeah, but I, uh, it, it's crazy because I, I give away shoes. I'll, so it's kind of a revolving door. But my sneaker room's really bad. Like my wife. How many? <laughs> it's it's got to it's definitely. Like between probably a thousand and fifteen hundred pairs. That's unbelievable. And, that, and and that's that's with purging. I mean, and and I, I'm not even like trying to like brag. Is Do you have it, like a whole garage for your shoes? I got a whole room. I got a whole, it's a whole room. room of, it's of unbelievable. Stuff. You know, and it goes from floor to the ceiling, back levels. And the thing is, like, I won't get where we we still got like a townhouse. So like, she doesn't want to get the custom shelving done because yeah. it's a waste of money. She yep. wait till we, we get her house. So you get your house. Then we're then she she has a whole idea of what she wants to do. <laughs> so I'm just like I just you know I just nod my head. And, as long as she doesn't want to kill me for me getting more shoes, then we're all about it. That's what we all we all battle that every yes, day. Yes, sir. So. <laughs> it's all about compromise, man. Well, thank you, Mosh, for joining. Thanks for the, having me. The shoes that you see on Stefan Diggs, Adam Thielen, a number of the Vikings' feet are done by this man right here. So thanks for joining the show, and uh, we'll we'll be on the lookout for your artwork this year. Thank you. Okay, our thanks to Kevin Seifert for joining us, Wes Hodkowitz for joining us from Packers.com, and Mosh. Mosh. Chris's main man, Mosh. All righty, that's going to do it for the Minnesota Vikings podcast. We thank you for listening, and we encourage you to check out the Vikings game on Sunday at Lambeau Field against Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers. Both teams 1-0. The winner will be sitting pretty on top of the NFC North with 14 more games to go. 
Catch the game on the Vikings Radio Network, where voice of the Vikings Paul Allen will have the call. Pete Bursich will be in the booth. Greg Coleman, Ben Lieber on the sidelines. And the pregame show is hosted by Mike Musman. You can catch that beginning at 10 a.m. Yours truly will be joining Mus per usual in my spot right about 20 minutes before kickoff. On behalf of everyone here at the Vikings Entertainment Network, including co-producers Jay Nelson and Chris Corso, this is Wabi signing off for now. Have a good rest of the week, and skull Vikings! Thank you.